Hey, Starfighters, this is Dan, and I can't believe it is almost the end of 2019. And that means the end of the decade, which means that this is a movie podcast, and we're going to start talking about some best ofs and worst ofs, not just for the year, but for the decade. So 2010 to 2019, the best and the worst of sequels, prequels, remakes, reboots, We are going to be posting a survey to our Instagram feed at Ruined Childhoods Pod, and we invite you all to let us know which ones you saw, which ones you missed, which ones you liked, which ones you didn't, and which ones may have perhaps even ruined your childhoods. Please submit all of your responses by December 20th so that we can include them on our final episode of 2019 at the end of December. So keep an eye out coming this week. Survey. Good journey. Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times says this movie has a lot of laughs, its action sequences are thrilling, its surprises are startling, and it shows a real ingenuity in the ways by which it gets its star into and out of trouble. Arita Kempley of the Washington Post disagrees and says it's strictly for viewers who don't want surprises, just a laundry list of buddyisms. But then Dessen Thompson, also of the Washington Post, further piles on Ebert by calling it the filmic equivalent of a hate crime. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we determine the fate of the last Boy Scout. Greetings, Starfighters, and welcome to Ruined Childhoods. I am Dan, and with me, as always, my brother John. How are you, John? Hello, I am doing just fine. How are you, Dan? I'm doing fine. That was like that was a doubtfire esque hello there. Hello. Yeah, it was. It was like on its way there. You know. <laughs> you know, the Mrs. Well, Doubtfire I... musical just uh, opened in Seattle at the Fifth Avenue Theater, and wow, I'm, I like I almost feel like it's my 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 responsibility. I would say professional yes. responsibility if we got paid for this, but um, I, I would say it's almost my responsibility to see it. So I will. Um, we'll 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 see. I don't. I'm like I'm still kind of like. I think my revisionist look at Mrs. Doubtfire the last time I saw it just kind of put me off of that movie. So I don't know if I can really. Well, yeah, that and also there are just some there are there are some similarities in <laughs> the rela- the relationship. We're not as quite as extreme as that, but but you would have to admit that um, there are echoes of my my of of my wife Alicia and I in um the characters played by Sally Field and Robin Williams. Oh boy. Not quite to the extent on either end and to the best of my knowledge Pierce Brosnan has not been making moves on my wife at work. So S- nor has Stuart Dunmire. Nor has yes, I I I don't remember the right Daniel Hillard, Daniel and Miranda Hillard. Um so I was I was thinking about Mrs. Doubtfire the other day, or was it today? 
Might have been it's kind today. of a Thanksgiving-y I type just, movie. Well, I was thinking about it in terms of at, how at the end of Mrs. Doubtfire, she is hosting a children's television show. Rather, Daniel Hillard is doing it as Mrs. Doubtfire. And I was wondering, would they have... Would they be exposing the fact that it is played by this guy named Daniel Hillard? Or is it just like, this is this person named Mrs. Doubtfire? Like, in the credits for the show, is it like, and as Mrs. Doubtfire, it's Daniel Hillard? Well, I guess in that respect, then you think about the the culture in 1993... You think, you know, okay, which I mean, I guess at that time, yeah, you know, Dame Edna. I'm trying to think of like of of perform of performers, male performers who performed as women, um, or who performed in women's clothing, uh, but didn't mm-hmm. necessarily, you, um, like that was a persona, which I think for you know, um, Dame Edna, who's played by Barry Humphreys. I think it was a persona. Likewise, you know, Eddie Izzard earlier on in his stand-up career when he would wear women's clothing on stage. But I think it was more of just he liked to wear that. That was just what he wore. Yeah, that was just what he wore. So, yeah. but I don't know if, yeah, if you'd have like a children's television. Then again, this is San Francisco, like, you know, like local television. So I'm I'm thinking, you know, we're pretty chill. and Well, it- well, I mean, local tel- but San Francisco is a pretty big market. It's not like it's, you know, some rinky-dink operation. It's- yeah, but I'm saying that Daniel Hillard could probably be, you know, openly credited as playing Mrs. Doubtfire, much more so in in San Francisco than, let's say, Mobile, Alabama, especially in 1993. This is true. So. True. That we, let's let's you know um, probably what what Miranda should have done is close the door on Mrs. Doubtfire and um... well yeah and I think that it's time that we go on from run by fruitings to actual drive by shootings and talk about the last Boy Scout wow, nice rhyme I I mean it's right there the last Boy Scout the last is Boy is Scout. our focus of this episode it sure uh, is another. Shane Black penned film. Uh, this one, I think that both The Last Kiss Goodnight and The Last Boy Scout. Sorry, The Long Kiss Goodnight. <laughs> it's easy to get the it's two okay. titles confused. I'm I'm with you on that. Oh, and then when you throw in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, it's just like... Oh, The Long Kiss wait. Kiss Bang Bang Boy Scout Goodnight? I don't know. What badge do you get for that? You don't. You don't. Uh, so <laughs> you get kicked out. The, yeah, pretty much. You can't be a scout so, leader anymore. Uh, so um, at at this point in Shane Black's, well, I guess in in the history of writing or selling scripts for for movies, uh, the Last Boy Scout broke the record for how much a script sold for. <laughs> I think it was like one point seven five million. And then yeah. when he did Long Kiss Goodnight, I think that was. Then a new record, not that he beat his own record because there were Joe Esterhaus. Joe Esterhaus apparently was was pissed that like because I guess he had previously held the record and then oh, yeah, he was like, well, no, fuck that. I'm going to I'm going to make a new record. And then like basic instinct, he, he ended up getting paid like a, like like more than twice as much uh-huh. for that script. Yeah, it worked out. Well, <laughs> 
Made a lot of money. Yeah, I guess so. Made more I than mean, Last Boy Scout. <laughs> right. Last Boy Scout, to my knowledge, wasn't considered a huge no. success. No. Yeah. Um, it, it sure as hell is a lot of fun. It it actually, it picked up its following on, on home video, though I remember seeing it in the theater at the New Park Do tell. At the New Park Cinema in Roseau Park, New Jersey. Uh-huh. I remember seeing it, I think, like, opening weekend. I mean, man, I look at the movies that were coming out then. This was December 1991. And I just remembered seeing so many movies and so many movies at that theater in that month. Because it was like, that came out. Like, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country came out around that time, which I saw in that theater. And that's an awesome movie. Um, Hook. Had uh, okay. Hook came out around that same time, and I remember we saw it in that in that theater. So, uh, but I remember the last Boy Scout, and I feel like I remember it being pretty crowded, though those weren't exactly like giant, you know, cinemas. Um, so I the cinema, yeah, the cinema. I remember seeing the last Boy Scout. <laughs> um, so, uh, they would not let me smoke my cigarettes during the film. I don't know. Okay, so it's becoming like the count now. Um, But no, I remember seeing The Last Boy Scout and I remember it was like, it had a lot of hype and it was, it wasn't Damon Wayans' first movie. Obviously, we know that because we've talked about his first movie, Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop, yep. But this was, I guess, and then this was Damon Wayans. This is earlier. It's post, it's like right around In Living Color. Like In Living Color has, yeah. is in like maybe season two or three at this point. And mm-hmm. Damon Wayans is kind of the breakout star from In Living Color. And I mean, he's been in movies before. Earth Girls Are Easy alongside Jim yeah. Carrey and Jeff Goldblum. And Gina and Davis. Gina Davis, that's right. Yeah, and, what a cast. Yeah, um, uh, Michael McKeon, Julie Brown. Anyway, uh, we don't we don't need to get off on that tangent, but- Last Boy Scout being Damon Wayans. And so there was a lot of hype around that. And then there was also a lot of hype around that Bruce Willis was coming off of Hudson Hawk, which Uh was a monumental failure. (laughs) Notorious. But it might be one of my favorite movies to reference. (laughs) It's it's so much. I, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen Hudson Hawk in ages and I don't know, maybe one day we'll talk about it here. Maybe we won't, but there are so (laughs) many things I remember, like the, the, the bad guy henchmen who were like named after candy bars, like Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhardt being like totally over the top. Um, Uh I remember Andy McDowell making dolphin noises. And I remember Danny Aiello and Bruce Willis singing, uh, Swinging on a star, as they were like swinging on a star. Yeah, would you like to swing on a star? <laughs> Fans of the old syndicated uh, TV show Out of This World would remember that as right the, the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Out of This World. Yeah, and uh, pour one out for Out of This World. I mean, I guess so. I don't know <laughs> if anyone can unearth any episodes of that anywhere online. And not that I've ever yeah, looked, right? so there, it could be very easy. Anyway, so Last yeah. Boy Scout comes out in December of 1991 and does not do very well at the box office. Right. And, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. I guess you have to look at it in context of, like, other movies 
other like Bruce Willis movies where, you know, it's a very John McClaney character. It, you know, it's it definitely has its similarities. He's so it's probably people hoping for the same attitude. You know, the 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 smarmy kind of like smart talking. Well, he's the you know, he's the, uh, you know, analog guy in a digital world. That's that's right. kind of the 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 Bruce Willis archetype, it, you know, from Die Hard to where he's just kind of, you know, uh, L.A., uh, you know, he's just kind of like, you know, weirded out. He's he finds comfort in the old, the traditional. It's why he's so like, you know, New York versus L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because even the movies where he plays a character from L.A., like Pulp Fiction, he's still right. is very much tied to the old school. He's that he he's almost from another time because like in this, he's almost like that that 1940s noir detective, like right. B movie detective and Pulp Fiction. He's like from another 1940s B movie. He's, you know, a man uh, very much out of his out of his time in in the modern yeah. world. And and before we uh move on from talking about uh other Bruce Willis movies, uh the allegedly the original title for this movie was Die Hard. And yes. yeah, which so the script definitely predates Die Hard and uh Joel Silver asked if he could use the title for a different project he was working on which was at that time called Nothing Lasts Forever. So uh, well, because I th- I think what's up? Yeah, well, which nothing lasts forever. I think was the title of the novel that Die Hard was based on. Which I mean, that was being right. developed for Sinatra. Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, Last Boy Scout was originally called Die Hard, and that's how yeah Die Hard and things worked out much better in in that with that movie. Well, for Die Hard, it did <laughs> for Die for Die Hard. Well, but also by the time this movie rolls around. You've got there like all by all accounts, part of what made this movie a you know a challenge and and I don't I don't think it necessarily comes out that much in the film and any any of it that does kind of helps the tone of the film, but like people did not get along, like Damon Wayans right. Damon Wayans didn't like well also it's like it's kind of like Bruce Willis Joel Silver Shane Black all at their height. Like they've all just yeah. had these monster hits, except for Joel Silver and Bruce Willis who've. Well, yeah, but they have had their fair share of successes. They've had their, but, but I would say most tenuous of all is Bruce Willis who really um, hasn't been fully, I think minted as a true movie star. I mean, his, his movies up till this point are he's, you know, blind date, Die Hard. Um, he's he's had Die Hard too. By this point, yeah. look who's talking. But really, he's not like I might be. I think like Mortal Thoughts, but I don't remember that being a big success, right? So he's. It's not like he's not like Joel Silver, who's just been you know pumping out blockbusters since the eighties, or Shane Black, who you know has has these three movies uh you mm-hmm. know lethal weapon 
the Monster Squad, which granted that wasn't exactly a box office hit, but and Predator open within months right. of each other, and then he's got you know a Lethal Weapon two, and he's did he write Lethal Weapon two? Oh, you know, I don't think he did actually. I I I mean, I know that he gets credit for originating the the, the characters, characters, the but, characters. Yeah, yeah, I was I was just kind of thinking of it as a like a Lethal Weapon property. Um, yeah, he, right. Yeah, he oh, in the story, he came up with the story. For Lethal Weapon 2. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Lethal Weapon 3 and 4, he was not, he's just characters. But, um, yeah, and it's interesting because Shane Black is Mm -hmm. also, like, I mean, yeah, Monster Squad wasn't exactly a huge hit, but, um, you know, everything. Well, you've also got Tony Scott. Yeah, you do have, oh, wait, he, Shane, hold on, Shane Black did not write Predator. He was in Predator. He's in Predator. I know he was in Predator. He did not write Predator. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I've he been... wrote The Predator, yes. the most recent Predator. Wrote and directed The Predator. Yes. But so anyway, uh, so Shane Black has, you know, so You he's... can tell he didn't write the original Predator because there's no scenes that take place in during Christmas time. Yeah, that's that's true. Although to, to be fair, to be fair, neither did The Last Boy Scout. So. Last Boy Scout? Did it not? Yeah, it's a Christmas. Satan Claus. His daughter draws the picture. Oh, that's, yeah, that's right. There is Satan Claus. It's, def- it's but just it's no, L.A. Like, it's it's in L.A. So you can't tell. And there's no two Christmas parades like there are in uh, Long Kiss. In Long Kiss Goodnight. Well, and actually, <laughs> Lethal Weapon is Christmas time too, also mm-hmm. in L.A. But for Long Kiss Goodnight, so you've got um, and and I guess you know we're we should give the uh, the old plot synopsis here. Or sorry, I yeah. said Long Kiss Goodnight. Last Boy Scout. Last Boy Scout. Do you mind? No, go for it. Do you want me to do it? <laughs> oh, I got go, it. Go right ahead, John. Um, so Bruce Willis plays Joe Hallenbeck, who is a burnt out uh, f- Secret Service agent turned private eye who is thrown into the middle of a huge conspiracy that links federal legislators with a football bigwig who's bribing them to legalize sports gambling. And Joe gets involved uh, when his like best friend slash colleague asks him to keep an eye on a stripper who's in need of protection. And it turns out that his buddy knows that it's a dangerous thing and is trying to push him into a dangerous situation because he's screwing Joe's wife. What's up? Well, and his buddy, I should point out, played by one of the most ubiquitous character actors around, Bruce McGill, who, if you're a fan of the movie Animal House, and this just always, like, amuses me, he played D-Day in Animal House. And then, really, yeah, he was. That's Bruce McGill was DJ. He actually, and he went to, uh, actually went to college. I remember hearing this with our, um, I guess, cousin by marriage, Kathleen Kent, um, author of novels such as The Diamond, The Heretic's Daughter. Uh, but I remember right. she, like, they used to do theater together, and yeah, I remember her telling some stories. Um, some fun well, stories. With that? Him. So yeah, Bruce McGill, um, who also was in other movies like Three Fugitives with Nick Nolte, who's in Lorenzo's Oil. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, Bruce McGill's just got one of those, like you might not know his name, but when you see him and when you hear his voice, he's in anything where there's like politicians, lawyers, military. Uh-huh. He is, it's not hard to find him in that setting in movies. Right. Well, in The Last Boy Scout, he doesn't stick around too long because uh, he actually gets blown up in a car uh, <laughs> thinking that uh, Joe was going to be the one that was in the line of fire. 
Um, and then Joe goes on to uh, try to protect um, the character Corey, who's played by Halle Berry, who is in Cloud Atlas with Susan Sarandon, who is in Lorenzo's Oil, no and, uh, which I saw on a plane, and it, it was not, not a good plane movie. Wait, what? Uh, so... Just saying, Cloud Atlas. Oh, Cloud Atlas. I'm like, wait a second, Lorenzo yeah. Soil, Cloud Atlas. Yeah, no, no. Cl- Cloud Atlas is a, uh, <laughs> yeah, interesting film, so. No, Lorenzo Oil was a blockbuster night with our parents <laughs> and was difficult to watch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, after Corey gets killed, she gets gunned down mm-hmm. in the aforementioned drive-by shooting, uh, Joe teams up with... Uh, her boyfriend, who's a former football star, Jimmy Dix, uh, to find the killers and expose this giant conspiracy. Yeah, more more or less. You have some colorful, ca- you know. Well, a lot more. Some, yeah, a lot more. Well, there's some colorful yeah. characters along the way. I'll continue. Well, yeah. So let's just run down our characters. So the movie actually opens up with a football player named Billy Cole, played by Billy Blanks. The Tybo guy. I have you ever done the Billy Blanks Tybo, John? I have not. I used to do Billy Blanks Tybo back in Did the you living really? room of Twenty Five Stone Street. Jamal, <laughs> Jamal Sawab, shout out. Uh, we used to do our Billy Blanks Tybo together, and then like nice. just just negate it all by by like making mac and cheese, and then watching the Golden oh, yeah. Girls. So. Yeah, Billy Blanks, uh, he had kind of these small roles in these movies around this time before he became the Billy Blanks that we all know and love today. And yeah, it opens up with him. He's a player on the L.A. Stallions football team, and he gets a phone call, a very mysterious phone call that's telling him that he has to win the game at all costs. And he ends up taking a bunch of pills and, uh, you know, gets possession of the ball. And then uh, when he sees someone getting in his way, he pulls out a gun and shoots the guy. And then gets the touchdown and shoots himself. Which, and by the way, the sequence, in terms of like an opening sequence to a movie, it's... It's awesome. Amazing. And like the look on his eyes after he takes the PCP and you see him on the field and he's just like, his eyes are super wide and when he pulls yeah. the gun out and it's like oh my god i can't like you it's like this could especially in in 1991 when there was probably less security about about guns um mm-hmm. now one thing i don't understand though is if you're paying a team if you want a team to win all right so if you are a or if you're an organized crime figure involved in gambling and you are using payoffs to ensure that one team wins over another, isn't that isn't it usually the other team that you that you pay off, the team that you want to lose? Because it's much easier right. to control things from that end of it. Yeah. Like Chicago White I, Sox. <laughs> yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. But that's not the movie that we're watching. Did I? Mi- I mean, I so. just I wasn't sure if I missed something that like Billy Cole was like he like owed, and basically it was like they were gonna kill him anyway, and it was just like, all right, listen, if you don't win, like he owed them money or something, I don't know. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, just imagine 
I, I don't know how much football you watch, but imagine watching a football game and then that happens. But that's, and that's exactly, and I think that uh, they brilliantly set it up with that, um, you know, whatever, Friday night's a great night for football, the Bill Medley. Oh my God. That's clearly supposed to be like, are you ready for some football? Like, it's supposed to have that same sound. It's set to set you up like, oh, I'm, I'm watching, you know, whatever. I'm watching Monday Night Football. Yeah, uh, it's awesome. Or Friday Night Football. And, yeah. and so they set you up in that way where it's like, yeah, you're, you're, oh, you're watching a football game. And I, I mean, yeah, you don't have to watch a lot of football, I think, to imagine what it would be like if you were watching a game and someone pulled out a, a, a I mean, it's, it, it's especially scary to talk about nowadays right but oh, yeah. but to think of somebody a player on the field t- taking out his way, a gun and shooting his way to to a touchdown i mean like they show all the cops and everybody all the players standing around just like like they don't know what to do and yeah. i like that makes sense it, it i mean it makes you forget anything that where you're where you're like well why are they talking to him you know it just, it, it really is, a, is an attention getting, if that doesn't get your attention, then just turn turn it off. If like, if you've sat <laughs> in the room or you've sat in a theater and you've seen that scene and you're not like, oh, all right, I got it. What's going on in this flick? Just don't. Yeah. Yeah. Spend your time doing something else. No, it's totally crazy and a really cool way to start a movie. I mean, problematic as it may be in terms of sports betting usually involving paying off a player to you know lose yeah then whatever so uh just moving through the cast we also have um so we mentioned bruce willis is joe uh damon waynes plays jimmy Dix, the former uh football player who used to be on the stallions he i believe got busted in a like with drugs and gambling I think that's why he got kicked off. He got busted for gambling, and then, and, and then, then I he think was into drugs. he was into drugs. He's into drugs when we meet him, right? Yeah, yeah, and he's hanging out with people who are on the team. Like, there's that one asshole oh. football player. I forget his name, but uh, Jimmy gloriously throws a football directly into his face. It's so good. He's holding a woman's um, head underwater in a hot tub. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was terrible. Yeah. That was terrible. Yeah, but, and it's, like, it would be terrible, and you'd think, like, oh, I, I can't watch. The only the only thing that makes it bearable to watch is knowing that, that the guy's nose is just going to get crushed by that football. Yeah. And it's a really great way to introduce Jimmy because you immediately know He's problematic, but he's a good guy. Yeah. You know, you know, a, he has a moral Everything center. you need to know about him. Yes. Yeah. And uh, well, that plus, plus he's just got that one line, like, don't forget best arm in the league. Yeah. And that pays off later. Uh, so then we have um, Chelsea Field, who plays Sarah, uh, Joe Hallenbeck's wife, who was Tila in Masters of the Universe. That she was. She, I, I couldn't, I was like, oh man, where do I know her from? And I was like, do I know her oh, yeah. from her small role in I'll Do Anything with Nick Nolte? <laughs> no, you might be thinking of how Bruce Willis was in Breakfast at Champions with Nick Nolte. 
Oh, so that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Okay, no, actually, totally, <laughs> totally forgot about that one. <laughs> no, she's in Masters of the Universe, and it, yeah, yeah, you see her, and it's she has this very strong jaw and these eyes where you're just like, I know her from somewhere so well, and then as soon as you realize it, you're just like, or at least us, it's like, yes, she's Tila. Yes. Um, I was kind of ashamed then, for uh, not knowing that already. Like, this was the first yeah. time I realized that. So uh, then we have, um, well, I didn't write down the name of the uh, actress, but the person who plays, or the name of the character who is uh, Joe and Sarah's daughter is Darian. Darian. She's the one who draws uh, Satan Claus. Daniel and, um, Harris, yeah. There you go. <laughs> and Halle Berry is Corey. And then you cannot go through this cast without talking about the wonderful, amazing, late, unfortunately, great Taylor Negron as Milo. Taylor Negron. I saw him do com- I saw him do improv comedy once at a oh, show yeah? in LA. Like I think this was before I think this was in 98. This was okay. before you lived there and I was out uh just kind of su- visiting family slash trying to get noticed kind of Doing my own thing in '98, yeah, no, that well, that was when I had my my lunch with uh, cousin Kenny and Owen Roisman, cinematographer of The Exorcist and The French <laughs> Connection, et cetera, et cetera, um, and which was fascinating. But what did he uh, have for lunch? Yeah, so I rem- what does what does what does Owen Roisman eat? Royce and beans. I don't know. No, uh, no oh, I don't. I'm sorry. I had no other. I I'm, I actually tried to remember for a moment and I'm like, that's 21. <laughs> that's almost 22 years ago. But uh, so uh, <laughs> Taylor Negron. So uh, great. He's incredible. You know, he shows up a lot in movies as kind of like a douchebag. Uh, well, he's so for people. I see him. I see him and I think, uh, unfortunately, I think Nothing But Trouble is a big one that comes up for me. Which is one of his biggest roles. And unfortunately, it's a terrible movie. Mm -hmm. But he's the pizza delivery guy in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, He's he's the the son-in-law in Easy Money. He's he's awesome. And he is so incredible as Milo in this movie, who is... He's not like the big bad guy, but he is the worst bad guy. Well, and apparently, from what I've heard, so Shane Black's original script for this movie was much darker and much more violent. A lot about I his... I feel like that's usually the case with his movies. Yeah, and, and a lot of his script got changed by Joel Silver and Bruce Willis. Well, I think that I read somewhere that he wrote this movie after going through like a huge breakup and he was like in a really 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 bad place where he was like not speaking to anybody for like days on end and then what got him out of it was writing this movie Mm -hmm. so i'm sure that the original script was like real dark well apparently in the original script milo like also directs snuff films in which he like oh yeah yeah like drugs girls and like and like young girls too so like really like i'm glad they left that out like we we get enough of a of a hint that milo's kind of a a a sick guy evil yeah yeah and he uses he calls everyone by first name that's great what a great character trait he is 
awesome and a really fun character to watch, even though he's despicable. And shout out, by the way, also, um, sad, I mean, also RIP, but uh, pour one out for Noble Willingham, who plays Shelley Marcone, who's, who is the, the big bad guy. Milo works the big bad guy. for him. He's the owner of the LA Stallions. And um, he's, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember exactly his. He's the whole. football bigwig who uh, uh, is bribing the federal legislators oh yeah to, uh yeah they're because because they're talking about how pro football is like losing like it's going down in the ratings and free agents are screwing up the game and right he, he's like you know if we legalize sports gambling it'll get people more interested which is not probably not wrong mm-hmm. so so what this movie really is at its core is a pseudo buddy cop movie. They're not cops, but uh, you know this is definitely a big Shane Black theme, where it's you know matching two unlikely people up who click and get the job done. Of course, things get off to a rocky start, mm-hmm. but uh, you know as once things start to click, they really work well together. And, uh, yeah, between Jimmy and Joe, they just really, uh, they save the day and they do it really, really well. And we've got a couple of other kind of Shane Black tropes here because you have one older, one younger, uh, mm-hmm. one who's more old school, one more, more new school. Uh, you have a damaged father-child relationship. Damaged father-child relationship. Um, Shane Black, I don't know if he writes the scripts this way, and probably not, because I know that uh, the car- the role of Jimmy Dix wasn't written specifically to be played by Damon Wayans or an African-American actor. But we frequently see in Shane Black m- movies that, um, you know, that pairing of, like, you know, Danny Danny Glover and Mel Gibson, Samuel mm-hmm. L. Jackson, Gina Davis, he, um, a, a black and white pair Uh, yeah so you know for whether that's just intentional or just a a casting coincidence i i don't necessarily feel like uh you know his roles are written specific or at least like these roles are written specific to actors or um specific uh you know races or ethnicities Mm -hmm. but uh but yeah, it's a common and and there's just some fantastic one-liners in there and some great like, you know, neo-noir talk. Right. Well, I mean, another Shane Black trope is a uh, kind of broken private eye. I think yeah. that private eyes come up more than like anything else because you have uh, Mitch Hennessy in The Long Kiss Goodnight and mm-hmm. The Nice Guys. It's about private eyes. Well, kiss, so kiss, bang, it's bang. It's kind of, well... Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Absolutely. Well, is he a private eye or yeah. is he a cop? Gay Perry? Val Kilmer's character in Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang? I thought, that he, I thought he was a straight up cop, but... No, he's a, he, no, he's a, he's a private detective. Well, then there you go. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm... No, I, it's... I, 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 now, I hope I'm not speaking out, out of turn here, but yeah, no, I think I, I think so. No, it's, uh, an, it's a Shane Black trope but it yeah. works it it always is good i mean it's always a little different honestly it's what he does really well like the the few shane black movies that i can think of that aren't that that don't have that like they, they don't come across to me as much as shane black movies and i mean both like iron man 3 
But, but Iron also- Man 3... Iron Man 3 has a lot of those Shane Black tropes, even though there isn't technically a, like, private eye. You know, it's a buddy movie where he's matched up with a child who is fatherless. <laughs> like, it's kind of combining a bunch of things that, uh, you know, he's broken. Yeah. He's, like, yeah. at the end of his rope. It's totally Shane he Black. He drinks. <laughs> I mean, yes. Uh, Monster Squad. I mean, it was his first, and I think that it was a... a he co-wrote he it. He co-wrote that, but, yeah. Uh, so I can not get as why many that wouldn't be that way. And I haven't seen the latest Predator, but neither have I. I, I have to imagine there isn't a private eye out trying to <laughs> dig up. There's dirt just on an the, old grizzled. The there's an old grizzled private eyes. That's you know what, like I, I don't know who plays him like russell crowe or no never mind he's already done the nice guys so it's like yeah. you know paul giamatti like the you know grizzled mm. private eye who's like he finds the, i don't know my wife ended up mysteriously gone i think she's cheating on me i think she ran away with this guy and then and then paul giamatti's like eh, i don't know i think a predator i can't do a paul giamatti impression from i would see that movie opening night oh absolutely <laughs> paul giamatti versus the predator you know, that'd be great. Sign me up. If all I have to do is pour, put mud on my face. I can't do Paul Giamatti. I'm not even going to try anymore. <laughs> I can't. So, uh, so, Dan, what would you do with this movie now? Well, John, I'm so glad you asked. Partially with, because uh, with Billy Blank's gun to your head. With what Billy Blank's tie-bowed biceps to my head, I would... I think I would go sequel. I would go sequel. Uh-huh. Now, if I could, that is if Shane Black would write and direct a sequel. And if maybe, I think like maybe now we've kind of got some cooler heads and, uh, you know, maybe some, some more humility on the part of, of Bruce Willis. Uh, I could see Damon Wayans certainly having an ego back then, but I mean, look, Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans are both still, kicking ass like bruce mm-hmm. willis still makes action movies and damon wayans is playing murtaugh on the uh lethal weapon television series right which I, that's right um yeah i believe is still on i don't know i've never seen it so uh, what would you have them do so i'm thinking about this so i'm thinking so jimmy definitely establishes you know best best arm in the league he only gets two seasons which is kind of one of the holes in the plot when darian talks about how when she was really little uh her dad talked about jimmy and it's like well let's see if it's 1991 and jimmy played 89 to 91 <laughs> like well you have to also consider his college career because some people can uh, be really into i mean good point yeah michael like michael jordan here, well, example. like here in Oregon, we don't have a football team. So people, if they are into NFL, they'll maybe watch Seahawks games or they'll just pick a random team from anywhere else or they'll be into college football because we mm-hmm. have uh, OSU, Oregon State University and University of Oregon, both of which um, have really strong football teams and they're actually playing tomorrow the date that we're recording this and it's always a big deal when they play each other and it's like it's a huge thing out here to watch college football and to follow college football so it is 
possible that maybe he followed him in college. I live in Seattle. If if you don't root for the Seahawks, you have to pay an extra tax. <laughs> it's a twelve percent tax. People who wow, understand, you watch them Seahawks. People who understand Seattle will understand that. Um, so, um, but yeah, I would do a sequel, and I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, what if? So what if Jimmy got inducted into the Hall of Fame? What if what if like time has passed and Jimmy Dix has contributed to the game of football? Like maybe he hasn't come back and played because he does get like shot through the hand. Of course, then he throws that shot where he he hits right. Senator Baynard perfectly. He so maybe he doesn't play anymore, but maybe he coaches. Maybe he, you know, he he contributes as an as an analyst. He is so he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame ceremony is coming up, and he starts getting like mysterious death threats. And he starts, and he's like getting these weird, you know, mysterious death threats. And I'm not necessarily thinking there should be. I don't know about having any connection to the events of of the first one, but. You know, Jimmy has probably made some enemies over the years. And maybe this is someone who's like, you know, huh, I am, you know, it's time to pay up. And so maybe he's, so he's getting these, these death threats and, or, you know what, or maybe it's, it's, you know, someone, the last, maybe it's like Corey's, you know, mother who always blamed Jimmy for her death and is like, yeah, I am, um, you know, you're not going to make it to the Hall of Fame, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. You're about to get inducted into the Hall of Pain. Sorry. Trademark, Mark Henry, WWE. Um, I had a feeling. <laughs> well, it made sense. But uh, so I think if you had that type of sequel and if you're like and have him just kind of be like, well, damn, there's only one, you know, the, the police aren't doing anything for me. Uh, Who do you go to? Yeah. Well, and you know what's interesting, though? If you think about it being Corey's mother kind of avenge, it's interesting because it, it makes me think, and I hadn't thought about this until just now, but this is made 1991. This is three years before OJ, like before OJ mm-hmm. kills Nicole Brown Simpson. So... um, Allegedly. I'm <laughs> kidding. He totally killed her. Yeah. Didn't you see the uh, <laughs> FX miniseries? Oh, of course I did. Oh my God, so good. And so bad at the same time. <laughs> I I don't I don't even know where to begin talking about that. Um but so let's go back to the last yeah, Boy Scout. Yeah, back to the last Boy Scout. Sorry, Bruce McGill's probably somewhere in that too. Uh so the last Boy Scout. Yeah, so I think I I, I feel like that's kind of the only way to go, because otherwise, like, what do you get out of doing like a remake? What no, yeah. I mean, I think that it's it's an interesting plot uh, that's in the original. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that it's kind of evergreen, although there is legal sports betting in certain states. So I don't know what they were like back in 91. I think it was a lot. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's not... I, I don't know how that would impact things. I think you would have to change... I think you would have to change a lot in a remake. And like, if you, in a, I don't like, did you have a a plan for a remake, John? What are you thinking? No, I didn't. I had a a plan for a sequel. 
Okay, so what's your? Let's talk about your 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 sequel idea. I don't well, I don't have much right, more for mine. Right, right at the end of the original, and I'm only saying original because in the context of this show, yeah, that would then be the original. Um, at the end, they're kind of walking off together, and after having like solved this whole big thing, and they're essentially talking to each other in respects to partnering up. You know, Joe is. You know, he's let Jimmy in and he's goofing around with him, kind of telling him some, I don't know, insider, private eye stuff, essentially. Yeah, he tells him I you have know. to make a wisecrack whenever you hit a guy. <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, it's 30 years later and we come to find out that they actually did have a private eye partnership, but it went belly up once like internet uh, sleuthing became a thing. So um, Joe ended up going super legit and owns a private security firm with his daughter because she clearly has the the gene. The temperament. Of, you know, yeah, and the temperament, of course, uh, as most uh, uh, Bruce Willis characters' daughters do. She does do that. Thinking of live free or die hard. Yeah, yeah. She does yeah. pull that clever move, putting the gun in the puppet, which reminded me, by the way, yeah. of Gina Davis shooting Sam Jackson's gun through his pocket. Mm-hmm. So another thing Shane Black yeah. does really well is set. He does a lot of like foreshadowing and setting stuff up. Yeah. And Shane Black is the master. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and then I would actually have Jimmy coaching college football, bringing things around to what we were just talking about. Okay. Um, and they're brought back together when one of Jimmy's players blows the whistle on one of his teammates, or actually maybe all of his teammates, uh, who are involved in a sexual assault bribery scheme. So you're bringing in whistleblowers and yeah, man, you are, so, you've got your finger on the pulse, man. But the thing is he can't go to the cops because they are working towards covering it up because if something happens to this college football team, then, you know, maybe they've got a lot riding on this college football team. So he goes to Joe and, uh, to, you know, they team up to, uh, crack this thing wide open. Uh, and I feel, I feel like, by doing this, I mean, well, certainly, you know, the the male egos will uh, will have to be tamed a little bit. There will have to be some watchdogs on this. But having a a storyline that centers around, you know, female empowerment mm-hmm. could, uh, I you know, it can't reverse the misogyny of the original. Because it is criticized as being quite a misogynist movie, but but it does acknowledge that it yeah. does acknowledge that like okay, like we're not cool with this stuff even like in the movies anymore, and mm-hmm. you know like it 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 reflects the change in the times, which then I think also puts the original in perspective and and makes you think like okay like you know. It's like, yes, this we look at this now and we cringe. When we looked at it then, we didn't. Should we have? Yes, of course. Well, I mean, 
I, I don't know exactly when it was written, but one of the reviews that are mentioned in the introduction for this episode that we're recording right now is from Destin Thompson of the Washington Post, who says that it's the filmic equivalent of a hate crime. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's that. Yeah, I, I feel like that's, yeah. that maybe is is a bit of, a, of an exaggeration. All due respect, you know. And well, I, and you know, there were mixed reviews. Roger Ebert loved it. So, I mean, so there you go. It's, it's kind of like if you look at it as so, if you try to judge it by the standards of a of a of like a, a noir, but not like a Maltese Falcon, not like a John Huston directed noir, like I'm talking like it, like like a Robert Preston starring, you know, like a B movie, like a Kiss of Death type. Mm-hmm. Um, a long kiss of good death. A long, a long good kiss, kiss of kiss. death. Uh, <laughs> bang, bang, Boy Scout. Uh, and I think if you look at it in in term in those terms, and you look at uh, you know how these men have these you know damaged these these egos, these damaged relationships with women, they're not. They're not satisfied with themselves, so they keep, uh, rather than than changing, they kind of just keep doing what they do because it's what they know how to do. Like, when we first meet Hallenbeck, he's hungover. He's sleeping in a car. He's sleeping in his car. Kids yeah. throw a dead squirrel on him. Yeah, which which is, like, it looks like it's been taken to the, like, the kids picked it up off the ground, took it to the taxidermist, and then brought it back. Well, okay, <laughs> I've worked on a bunch of shows that take place in the swamp and there's uh, I've had to do a lot of scenes of people shooting squirrels. And when a squirrel dies, it is stiff as a board. Like, wow. To be fair, that's that looks like a just freshly dead squirrel to me. Okay. All right. Hey, there you go. John <laughs> Sorry to, squir- yeah. to, to school you on uh, dead squirrels here, but I know a thing or two. Yeah. Um, oh, but I did want to mention, because I thought that you would like this, I was looking up, uh, you know, young actors who would be kind of age appropriate to play the college football uh, players, and I came up with a few that I thought you might like, uh-huh. um, one of them being Miles Heiser, who was Drew in Parenthood. Oh, d- oh okay, yeah. Uh, or he could be the whistleblower. Um I don't know if you saw the movie Booksmart. Not but, yet. But um, it's great. High I think on it's streaming list. on Hulu right now. It's really great. But uh, Mason Gooding, who is, um, he plays a character in, he plays Nick in Booksmart. And he will be awesome. And another one, Jaden Smith. Yeah. I thought it would be really interesting to see. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I could get behind that. Yeah, so I don't know. Which would also then get Will Smith producing, so. Sure, why not? Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's that's what I've got. Um, So, but yeah, I guess going back to like, I, I mean, just trying to think of everything else that you could do with it. I was thinking, I was trying to think about prequels, but they give you so much in terms of a prequel in flashbacks. Shane Black is so good at that. Yeah. Yeah. So, right, because you see his secret service, secret service past. Um, you certainly know plenty about Jimmy. 
You see him take the bullet for the president. You see him right. go in when Baynard is um, assaulting the the woman, which t- would tie into be, your sequel. Man, it would be great if the president was played by the same guy who played the president in uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. Oh. Put them in the same cinematic universe. <laughs> the Shane Black cinematic universe. Yeah. Yeah. That would be... That would be tremendous, yeah. But yeah, I guess if you were if you were gonna if you were gonna remake it, I mean, could you potentially if you were gonna remake it, would you potentially like even move it out of the football world? Potentially even, um, you know, s- switch it up like maybe, um, you know, women's soccer, like because like the U.S. Yeah. women's soccer team is amazing and has had, you know, so much hype. Why wouldn't, you know, maybe you'd have like a, you know, uh, instead of, you know, Jimmy Dick's former LA stallion, you, you know, you've got, you know, whatever, uh, Brandy Lloyd or, or whoever, you know, you take like, you know, the star, um, you know, women's, uh, soccer. Oh, it was Megan Rapino. That's what I was, uh, sorry. Right. So I was trying to think of, but, um, you know, kind of like you have someone like that and say like, okay, well, what if they get, you know, they lose their job because maybe they're making a big stink about uneven pay. Right. Because yeah. that's real. Ooh, that'd be interesting. And yeah. and so they, you know, she loses her job, kind of hits hits rock bottom. And well, remember also with Damon, with Jimmy Dix, there's the backstory about his uh, pregnant, and this is another Shane Shane Blackism because it reminded me of in Lethal Weapon, because um, Jimmy Dix's wife is she's eight months pregnant and she's hit by a car. Oh yeah, and is isn't Riggs's Riggs's wife is also I think hit by a car in that was in she the hit by a car? Yeah, I don't I don't huh. know that I don't I don't think she was pregnant. I don't remember if she was pregnant. I don't remember that part of that. But I I think I think she was hit by I think she was hit by a car. Um Yeah, I think or like killed in a car accident. So But yeah, if you were to do the uh do the remake, you know, you'd have, you know, your your soccer star hit hit bottom and you know and have him have her somehow get connected with this detective who, you know, it's the male, female, whatever, you know, uh, who would like, right. I don't know who would, if you were going to remake it and if you were going to like recast just the, just the Bruce Willis role and say you like, you want to keep that, you know, they're kind of, they're, they're older, stuck in their ways and kind of put off by things that are, you know, new or trendy. Uh, huh. I mean, I feel like somebody like Ryan Reynolds could be good. Um, I mean, what about Robert Downey Jr.? Robert Downey Jr. Of course, I mean, a Shane Black collaborator, right? But you know, you you think of Bruce Willis as being older, but I mean, how old was he when this was made? Five years older than five years older than Damon Wayne's character, but. Uh, or five years older than Damon Wayans was, but it's more right. of the attitude. It's more it it it's kind of more of that that like I'm I'm old school and I'm gonna stay that way attitude. I mean, maybe like Hugh Jackman. Oh, uh, Hugh Jack, oh, that would be interesting for Hugh Jackman. I Mark would love Ruffalo. To see- yeah, no, I like the Hugh Jackman idea because I do. <laughs> I like I like Hugh Jackman. I just mm-hmm. there's I don't 
necessarily love a whole lot of Hugh Jackman movies. Yeah. Um, where he's not playing Wolverine. <laughs> uh, I don't know. There's there's so many awesome people out there. The thing is, like, I th- can think of a lot of people, but I don't know if I'd put them in an action movie. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I would want to see Michael Sheen, for example, in this type of action movie. What about Michael Shannon? Ooh, Michael Shannon. Oh, or, yeah. What about Oscar Isaac? Do you think Oscar Isaac could be too young? I uh, I don't think so. We've already established he can do anything. Yeah, so. we know Oscar Isaac can can do anything and and put Mike, a few poofs of baby powder in that hair. He'll look and just Michael right Shannon. Age. Actually, Michael Shannon would be really interesting in that role. I'd love that. I'm really excited to see Knives Out. I'm going tomorrow night. I'm really excited. So by the time you are you are hearing this, dear listeners, I will have seen Knives Out. So I'm I'm oh, nice. I'm, yeah, I'm I've been looking forward to this film for for a long time cuz it just looks entertaining. Uh-huh. And No, it just looks like so much fun. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. What what more could you want? So so John, any any final thoughts on the on the last Boy Scout? Um it's awesome and it's currently streaming on Netflix, so watch it. And Hulu. I it's so- Oh, is it on Hulu? I think I saw it streaming on on Hulu and Netflix. So it's streaming out there. So check it out. Your public Uh, library might have a copy laying around somewhere. um, If you have an issue seeing uh, death by helicopter blade, then this movie is not for you. Um, well, if you, if you have an issue with, you know, if if maybe you're a little sensitive to guns just kind of being, like, waved around and shot around and handled by 11 or 13-year-old characters. Um, yes. You know, yeah, there's some, you just have to put it, you, you just kind of have to remember it was made in 1991 without the same sensitivities and awarenesses and cultural experiences that we have now. That's right. Well, let's talk about our next episode. So our next episode, we're going even further back. So, And I would probably say zero guns, if I remember correctly. Uh, zero, zero guns. I mean, I don't know what, what, what I'm going to, you know, catch this time around that I didn't catch last time around. But to the best of my knowledge, there are no guns in Mike Nichols' 1967 classic, The Graduate. I'm really excited. I'm very, very much excited to, and and I'm excited. I have some, I I have some, uh, I, I think just some old, I definitely could think of one old kind of uh, story secret, not really a skeleton in the closet, so to speak, but uh, something that I, I'm looking forward to discussing regarding the Juicy. Graduate. Yeah. Dangling a little carrot for our listeners. Nice. Yeah. No, especially in terms of uh, of this podcast, I, I I think it's especially relevant and I, I'm excited to talk about the movie, et cetera. Okay. All right. Well, All right. on that on note. That note <laughs> good journey, Dan. <laughs> good journey, John.